0: Thanks for following along the second season of Crime Beat. And thanks so much to the listeners who have supported our sponsor, the La Theatre for the Performing Arts. I've seen shows there several times, and it's a great night out. In January, they will have a new play, the very dark comedy Arsenic and Old Lace. There will be more details and a discount code later in this episode. So thank you to the La Murata Theatre for the Performing Arts. If you're a true crime fan, you should check out the Dialogue podcast, which is hosted by my friend, Rebecca Sebastian. I was a guest on the show recently, and she's smart and funny and a terrific interviewer. I'm Rebecca Sebastian, host of Dialogue. I'm also the creator and host of Yellow Tape, a true crime trivia show in New York City. In these live shows, we cover the who, what, and when of popular true crime cases, But we can't always deep dive the way I would like. That's where this podcast comes in. Dialogue picks up where yellow tape leaves off. Each week, I'll interview professionals, podcasters, and players in the true crime space. We'll attempt to answer the why of true crime, why we love it, why it happens, and what we talk about when we talk about true crime. And yeah, we'll probably play some true crime trivia too. So are you ready to explore the heart of true crime with me? I think we'll have a killer conversation. And here's Crime Beat. Some of the descriptions, details and language in this podcast may not be suitable for all audiences. The coroner's report said each of Kathy Torres's kidneys weighed 70 grams. There are other notations about her urethra ducts, her uterine tubes, her ovaries. Her bladder held between 2 and 5 cc's of urine at the time of her death. This section of the coroner's report is titled, Urogenital System. And then there's this line. Quote, The uterus shows a somewhat thick, pale, tan-brown endometrium with no obvious areas of hemorrhage. Close quote. I'll cut to the chase. The report does not indicate Kathy Torres was pregnant. A thick endometrium suggests she was close to ovulation, but there was no evidence of a fetus. Kathy Torres was not pregnant, no matter what Javier Lopez said and what Sam Lopez might have believed. When I was doing the reporting on this podcast, I didn't know if Mary Bennett, Kathy's mother, knew that pregnancy or Javier's mention of a possible pregnancy, had been part of the case. In all the times we had talked, pregnancy had never come up. So I took Mary and Kathy's sister, Tina, to lunch at Mimi's Cafe to discuss this bombshell. I'll play part of the discussion we had. Here's what I should have known. Of course Mary knew. She was always several steps ahead of me. Mary had done her homework in 1994, Mary was concerned that her daughter, Kathy, had been raped the week before she died. So just after Kathy's body was found in the trunk of her car, Mary did what Mary does. She called the coroner's office herself. Was Kathy pregnant?
1: No. Well, the, well, the, the, we, court, we, the, we the
0: way that we asked that too. Like, well, they, when they said they were going to do their medical, that medical examiner right in the corner, yeah. they said she wasn't. Then pregnant. they told her she wasn't was rape because I no, had, not
1: the rape, but they just oh. said that she wasn't pregnant. Yeah. yeah. Because at the so toxicology, I'm, toxicology, whatever that yeah. reports and when they were in court, when Matt divulged everything, from toxic, they knew like exactly what she ate that day, and they said I never, ever did it Matt was never mentioned.
0: My name is Keith Sharon. I'm a reporter with the Southern California News Group. In 1994, Kathy Torres, a student at Cal State Fullerton, never came home after working a Saturday night shift in the photo department at Savon. In this podcast, I'm going to look at just how cold a case can get. I'm going to tell you about Mary Bennett, her family, Detective Darren Wyatt, and their extraordinary and frustrating two-plus-decade pursuit of justice. This is Crime Beat. Season 2, Mom vs. Murderer, Episode 11, The Murder Tour. Javier Lopez, who pleaded guilty to involuntary manslaughter in the murder of Kathy Torres, had dropped the bombshell in his official plea bargain, or proffer. This happened after Javier's cousin Sam Lopez had been convicted of murder and sentenced to 26 years to life. Javier said Sam had come to him with some news. He said he had gotten Kathy pregnant. She had taken two home pregnancy tests, Javier said, and both were positive. Kathy, he said, wanted to keep the baby. Sam wanted her to get an abortion. Let me say this again. She wasn't pregnant. But it doesn't really matter that she wasn't. Here's what I mean by that. If Kathy and Sam both thought she was pregnant the whole calculus of the crime changes. Darren Wyatt, the detective who dogged the case for more than two decades, first heard the pregnancy rumor in the mid-1990s. He heard that Kathy was worried Sam had slipped her a drug, raped her, and gotten her pregnant.
2: We had information early on I say we, I mean Placentia Police Department back in 1994, uh, that she had told some friends that she was concerned, based on the incident on February 5th, that something may have happened and then she was concerned about whether or not she should get a pregnancy test. Uh, There was a a statement by somebody, and I don't remember who, that she had even gone to a uh, family planning clinic to have a pregnancy test done. We could never vet that out. We were never able to determine if that did actually occur.
0: In my mind, pregnancy raises the stakes on everything. What if her final phone call to Albert Rangel was to inform him that she thought she was pregnant with Sam's baby? What if Sam truly wanted her to get an abortion, and she refused? Could that have been his motivation for murder? Pregnancy raises the stakes on everything, far more than a hickey discovered on her upper chest. Still, the timeline from Javier's story isn't right. Javier said he learned the news from Sam several weeks before Kathy went missing. But the police and her family Thought she was concerned about being pregnant from the incident where they believe she was drugged and raped and returned home without her panties. That incident happened only seven days before she died. Something isn't right. The worry about pregnancy makes perfect sense without making any sense at all. Maybe the most important thing is that the police and the prosecutor gave no credibility to Javier's story that Kathy was pregnant. Here's Matt Murphy, the deputy district attorney, who convinced the jury to convict Sam Lopez. It's always been sort of one of the interesting aspects of it, but forensically, we know to a certainty she was not pregnant. And so so the test was done. Oh, yeah. No, in the autopsy was determined she was not pregnant. Okay. Yeah, we know that that's something they check for in, in every autopsy. Okay. Kathy Torres was not pregnant. So so now we got um, we've got Javier, who's been interviewed now, and we, this is the, I think this is the fourth time or fifth time he's actually been spoken to. Five, yeah. He, and he lied in every single one. Right. Like literally he told an affirmative lie in every single time that he sat down. And then we give him, it's called the come to Jesus talk, where it's like, dude, this depends. is your time. You gotta be 100% honest. And he proceeds to tell us something that absolutely none of us believe. Here's the problem with Javier. After he made his last statement, the one about the pregnancy that wasn't true and no one believed, he was released. The judge accepted his plea bargain. Everyone knew he had lied, and even this pregnancy story didn't turn out to be true. But his statement was accepted. He pleaded guilty to involuntary manslaughter, which his attorney Jack Early told me was a huge victory since Sam, his cousin, was convicted of murder. Javier had spent eight and a half years in jail awaiting trial, and then, suddenly, freedom. The question left in my mind was this. Was justice served? Does Mary Bennett truly know what happened to her daughter that night? So I decided to go back to the beginning and look at everything we know about Kathy's murder. I asked Darren Wyatt to meet me at Baskin Robbins, the ice cream shop in Placentia. It's just across the parking lot from the CVS store that used to be called Savon, where Kathy used to work. This was the spot where Kathy met Sam Lopez on the night she was killed. We're gonna start here, and Darren Wyatt's gonna take us through the events of that night, February 12th, 1994. I'm gonna raise some questions, And some of these questions don't have answers. So let's go back to February of 1994. I'll set the scene for you. We know one week earlier, on February 5th, Sam had discovered a hickey on Kathy's upper chest. It had been put there by her new boyfriend, Albert Rangel. Later that night, she may have been sexually assaulted, but she had no memory of that. And her tires had been slashed. She had come home that night under the influence of something. She was missing her panties. Kathy's friends and her sister said, during the week of that strange Saturday night, Sam had proposed to her. He had asked her if she would elope, run away to Mexico.
2: They met here in the parking lot pre-arranged, Sam was going to ask her to elope. I believe Kathy said no, uh, based on the totality of everything that I know to date. Uh,
0: And I believe that Sam just lost it. He went into this jealous fit of rage. So let's go really slowly, because I have so many questions about the, the setup for this. When Sam meets up with her, do you think she's safe at that point?
2: I think that she's initially safe when she meets with Sam. However, I think that she's guarded. And the reason I say that is because we have that note that was folded up and shoved between the seat back and the seat of the car. Uh, so I don't think that it, I believe that Kathy was writing a note to Albert as she had been doing, letting her know about the day. And the content of that note is kind of important because it says something to the effect of it's Saturday the 12th, work was busy. Everybody was all buying the, this is February 12th, two days before Valentine's day. We presume that she was going to say Valentine's day cards or presents. But if that was something that was open that she didn't mind sharing with Sam, Why would she quickly fold that, stop mid-sentence, fold that note, and hide it in the car? So I believe that initially it was probably safe. It wasn't until she rejected Sam's advances or
0: offers to move that, or to elope, that things went sideways. In all the tapes I'd listened to, I thought I knew what role Javier Lopez played in the murder. I thought Sam had committed the crime, then raced over to pick up Javier, and the two of them disposed of the murder weapon. That's what Javier had been telling police. Darren Wyatt was about to blow my mind. From interviews he had done with Javier, obviously some I hadn't heard, Wyatt had a detailed account of Javier's movements that night. It looks like he was with Sam from the start of the night. Where was javier at this time so javier
2: comes with sam drops him off here sam gets into kathy's car with her and javier drives northbound on bradford across yorba linda boulevard to the parking lot on the northeast corner of the intersection it's currently a wells fargo's
0: bank javier watched as sam and kathy talked in the car after about 10 minutes sam got out of the passenger side and switched seats with kathy he got into the driver's seat He had to move the seat all the way back because he was so big. It looks like Sam and Kathy decided to leave the Baskin-Robbins parking lot to find a quieter place to talk. Javier followed behind Kathy's car as Sam drove. Remember, Javier was driving Sam's truck. So, as I'm listening to Darren's retelling, something strikes me. It's a detail that bothered me ever since. If we're supposed to believe that Sam had asked Kathy to elope with him, and this Saturday night would be the night he found out her answer, why did he bring a knife? How did a knife get into the equation is what I'm asking. Based on what I've been told, I have to say that the knife was on Sam's person. Sam brought a knife to an elopement. That sounds like a harsh contingency plan to me. If she says no, she's dead. Was it that simple? Here's another thing. It had to be that they were still in the discussion stages of the elopement because neither of them packed their bags. Sam couldn't have thought Kathy was going to drive out with him and head straight to Mexico. Neither one of them packed a toothbrush. There are four possible explanations for the presence of a knife. Number one, Sam brought the knife because he was planning to kill Kathy. Number two, Sam was the kind of guy who walked around with a long knife tucked under his clothes just in case he needed it. Number three, Kathy kept a long knife in her car for protection and Sam grabbed it just at the point he was mad enough to kill her. Or, number four, what if Javier had the knife as he watched Sam and Kathy from Sam's truck across the street? Here's the special offer from the La Mirada Theater for the Performing Arts. Buy one ticket to Arsenic and Old Lace, get one free. Use the promo code ANTBOGO, A-U-N-T-B-O-G-O. Enter the code before selecting your seats. Valid on all performances of Arsenic and Old Lace. Offer good on full price tickets only. Tickets are available at LaMaradaTheater.com. Don't miss Broadway's classic killer comedy, Arsenic and Old Lace, combining murder and mayhem with zany humor. Arsenic and Old Lace is an uproaring comedy that gives hospitality a bad name. Opens January 24th through February 16th. Tickets at theater.com Kathy was still alive as they drove away from Baskin Robbins. Sam took her to 201 East Chapman Avenue, the Via Angelina Apartments. He found an open parking space in a long row of carports. It was about 8.30 p.m. Sam backed the car into the spot so the trunk was away from the driveway. Javier parked Sam's truck a few spaces away. This case is full of weird details and unexplained coincidences. How about this one? Remember, for 20 years, no one knew that Sam had taken Kathy to the Via Angelina Apartments. Kathy's sister, Tina, certainly didn't know. When Tina divorced Armando, she needed a new place to live. She moved into the Via Angelina apartments, and her parking spot was just a few feet away from the spot where Sam took Kathy on the night she died. You can't make this stuff up. So let's go back to February 12th, 1994. It was about 8.30 p.m. when Sam backed Kathy's car into a parking spot at the Via Angelina apartments. This is where the tension began to rise. The fight started in the car. Kathy was kicking so hard she broke the plastic console. There's some blood in the car, but not a huge amount. The coroner's report shows that Kathy was stabbed in the back, which could have happened as she tried to flee. We know she got out of the car. She had motor oil on her sock. The story is that Sam caught her quickly. This detail always bothered me. If Sam was in the driver's seat and Kathy opened the passenger side door, how come she wasn't able to get farther away? One explanation could be that Javier was there, blocking her escape. But that's not what he told police, and Sam never explained his movements at the apartment complex that night. He only said in his statement to the court that Matt Murphy had it correct and that he was sorry. Javier told police that he saw Kathy get out of the car and try to run. He said he saw Sam catch her, knock her to the ground near the trunk. This was happening on the concrete under the parking lot's canopy roof in the middle of the line of parking spaces full of cars.
2: Sees Sam standing over Kathy, looks like he's punching her. When he runs over there, he realizes that Sam is stabbing Kathy. The jury believed Sam was
0: the killer. They never got to hear from Javier, who was injured that night. In his guilty plea, he said he had a cut on his right hand and another on his left forearm. Javier's blood and fingerprints were found on Kathy's car. His DNA was found on her pants and under her arm. None of Sam's DNA was found on or inside the car. I'll just throw this out there. What if Sam punched Kathy in the car She got out and tried to run. What if Javier was standing there and he was carrying the knife? Darren and Matt say no. It didn't happen that way. Sam was the jealous boyfriend with the hair-trigger temper and the motive. He brought the knife to the elopement and started stabbing her in the car. When she fled, he caught her and continued stabbing. Seventy-four stab wounds. That seems like a rage killing and Sam was the jealous ex-boyfriend with the rage issues, not Javier. Why would Javier stab her 74 times? Does someone need a motive to commit a rage crime like this? What if his motive was that he was trying to impress his cousin? Darren picks up the story with Sam hacking Kathy to death as Javier watches.
2: Kathy is obviously in bad shape. Uh, Something happens, Sam stops. Kathy's body is limp on the ground. Uh, He believes that she is deceased. They then are, what do we do, what do we do? Javier suggests to Sam, put the body in the trunk of the car and we'll move it, this area is too public.
0: Javier said he watched Sam kill Kathy and helped him stuff her body in the trunk. But in the confusion, Sam left the murder weapon in the trunk beside Kathy's body. Javier realized that the key to getting away with murder was getting rid of the murder weapon. So Javier said he took it upon himself to find the knife. The voice you'll hear is Javier with investigator Larry Montgomery. Javier begins to explain how Sam left him alone with Kathy. The trunk was open, that's where I start. <laughs> what did you
1: see, Javier? Okay. <laughs> a few deep breaths, maybe. Too was took off he just left me there I was in shock
2: what do you mean he took off
1: he mm. went to go either move, to go get the truck get something out of the truck I was just looking in there I look around and I see like a, it's a knife with a well I just saw an object and it was a knife or some sort of like a uh, slim gym with the handle on it, a leather uh, cutter. I rolled up my sleeves, I didn't want to get any blood on me because she was covered. In- I reached in, I grabbed the, the knife.
0: Javier said he was standing there, murder weapon in his hand, when a car pulled up behind him. There was a witness.
1: And I start backing up with the knife in my hand. The car pulls in, and I didn't want him or her to see me, so I go like this, like this across, like this, like that. Across to the left side of your body. So yeah. Holding the knife, it looks like in your right hand. Yeah, I cut myself right here. Okay. I don't know. And I, I looked over. The car stops. I look him dead in the eyes. Caucasian. I remember him. He looked right, right in the, right in the eyes. And I squint like this disguise my face or whatever i was was the trunk still up yeah my my hands are inside the trunk like this because i didn't want him to see what i had in my hand and that car takes off i see the tail lights go back on i was thinking he's going to pull in the right next to my cousin's truck on the other side that's so why i dropped the knife inside the trunk and I think he's going to pull in, so I start pushing her body.
0: He's moving Kathy deeper into the trunk, so she can't be seen by this potential witness. That Caucasian man in the car, the one who looked Javier dead in the eyes. He never came forward. He was never found. Javier said Sam approached him with a rag. Javier put the murder weapon in the rag and then issued a warning.
1: And I told him, we got to move this car. So said, why?
0: we got to move right now. That guy just ID'd me. we find the body. Anytime soon, I'm done. Did you catch that? He said, I'm done. He didn't say, we're done. As I heard this description by Javier, I remember being floored. Suddenly, Javier sounds like the leader in this crime. I was standing in the parking lot where the murder took place, and I asked Darren about it. So he's kind of... Taking over. Correct. Because Sam is emotional? I don't know why, but he admittedly
2: uh, said that he was the one who concocted the plan of putting the body in the trunk and driving
0: the car to Placentia Linda Hospital to help conceal the homicide. Sam drove Kathy's car with Kathy in the trunk to Placentia Linda Hospital. Javier followed behind in Sam's truck. Sam parked the car less than 100 yards from the front door of the emergency room. Did he do that because he thought, just for a moment or two, that he could save her? What if Sam and Javier weren't on the same page? What if Sam had punched her, but Javier had started stabbing her? And now, Sam wanted to get her to the hospital. Darren Wyatt says no. He questioned Javier about it. He tried to give Javier an out, a chance to say that he or Sam had a heart that night. That they wanted to get Kathy to the emergency room and save her. But that wasn't their motivation. Javier said he chose the hospital because he thought Kathy's car wouldn't be noticed there in a parking lot full of other cars. Kathy may have been dead by the time they got to the hospital. So Sam and Javier moved on. As part of their alibi, Sam drove Javier to John Barroso's apartment in Fullerton. Barroso was Javier's friend. Again, Javier was leading their movements that night. One detail. Before they left Kathy's car in the hospital parking lot, Javier said Sam took two items from the crime scene. The murder weapon and her purse. When they got to Barroso's place, Javier said Sam chucked the knife into a dumpster. Javier said Sam took Kathy's wallet out of her purse and threw the purse in the dumpster as well. Javier said Sam gave the wallet to Barroso. What happened next is another thing that always bothered me. Remember... Sam is the rage-filled boyfriend with the motive to kill Kathy Torres. Here's how Javier described it.
1: I saw Sam having John the wallet. Did you see what John did with the wallet once he was handed in? Yeah, it was that thing. Now. There was money in it. Did they- what did they do with the money? They took it out. Who's they? Um, John and Sam. And who was holding the wallet at that point? John was holding the wallet. And if I recall, he took out money. John did?
2: Yes. Do you know how much money? No. It
1: was... $80. I remember Sean's reaction even saying, quote, because I cabrome like, whoa, she's got a lot of money on her. Yeah. And they even offered to give me, and I said, I don't want anything to do with
0: it. So in this story, John knows the wallet belongs to a woman. Javier says that John mentions, quote, she's got a lot of money. Unquote. And he wants to give the money to Javier. Why did John think the money should go to Javier? It's a question we'll never get the answer to. Barroso was arrested and later released. No charges were filed against him. As I mentioned in a previous episode, I reached out to Barroso several times to try to get his version of events. He never responded. According to Javier, it was he, Javier, who told Sam to go to Brea Mall, and let people see him there so he would have an alibi. Sam did that, but when he got there, it was after 9 p.m. The mall was closed, and Sam was home before 9.30 p.m. Javier went inside Barroso's apartment and had a drink. Police asked him if he took a shower, and Javier said no. Later, Javier's sister picked him up and took him to a dance club in La Puente. It has been 25 years since Kathy Torres was killed. For Mary Bennett, the case isn't over. Not even close. I suspect it will never be finished. Periodically, she checks the California Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation's website. It has an inmate locator. And there he is. Samuel Augustin Lopez. He's now 47 years old. He's being housed at the Correctional Training Facility in Soledad, California. He is eligible for parole in June of 2023. That date is now a target for Mary Bennett. I'm guessing she will be sitting in the front row of that parole hearing. To hear Darren talk about you, he describes you in, like, superhero terms. Mm -hmm. Because he deals with so many families who are crushed. Mm -hmm. You didn't allow that to happen. We couldn't. Well, some families do. Well, yes, but... You, for me, I couldn't. But the steps you took... You, you, the, the game could have ended. No. It, it, it could have been forgotten.
1: No, not as long as I was alive. I did. And then she had it in us, too, that we had to keep going.
0: Right. You
2: know.
1: <laughs> and it's just like my grandchildren, the, all of them. They have to know at a certain age, you know. Well, the young ones not yet, but but the older ones, who their aunt was. And it came a point to where, as they got older, they knew what happened.
0: When you fight so hard, does it ever end? Because now, prison. Sent- sentencing's happened. It's. It seems like it's over. It's never over. What, what's still... What is left for you to do?
1: Well, I'm still here when he comes up for uh, parole. Which will be, in, what, 2023? 20, he'll be up for parole.
0: Right. you You got a plan for that? Well, God willing, awesome. we'll be there. So, so in your mind, that's a step still to be taken? Yes. Yes.
1: And keeping Kathy's memory alive, who she was. Because she, she had a future ahead of her. She was going somewhere.
0: She was a shining star. Next time on Crime Beat. Season 2, Mom vs. Murderer, Sam's Interview. I'll play you the interview that helped get Sam Lopez convicted. Crime Beat, Season 2, was produced by the Southern California News Group. The executive editor was Frank Pine. The senior editor was Todd Harmonson. Audio editing, mixing, and music by Kevin Sablon. Field recording and videos by Jeff Gritchen. Graphics by Kurt Snibby. And I want to give special thanks to podcasters who inspired this work, Amy Wilson and Amber Hunt on Accused, Sarah Koenig on Serial, Brian Reed on S-Town, Chris Goffard on Dirty John, Madeline Barron on In the Dark, Nate DeMeo on The Memory Palace, and Phoebe Judge on Criminal. The best way you can support this podcast is to give us high ratings, write great reviews, and tell your friends to check out our work. Also, you can listen to Crime Beat Season 1, Stealing Nixon's Millions. That story was the inspiration behind the 2019 movie Finding Steve McQueen, starring Forrest Whitaker, Travis Fimmel, Rachel Taylor, and William Fickner. Thanks for listening. Here's more information on the play Arsenic and Old Lace at the La Mirada Theatre for the Performing Arts. The play is scheduled to run from January 24th through February 16th. Use the promo code ANTBOGO, A-U-N-T-B-O-G-O, for a discount on tickets at com.